Welcome to Trine Days, The Journey, conversations with publisher Chris Milligan. Today, he'll be speaking with Celerino Castillo. Cele was a DEA agent from 1979 to 1992. He blew the whistle on the CIA trafficking drugs into America in the Iran-Contra scandal of the 1980s. In 2021, Trine Day will publish a new edition of Sele's book, Powder Burns, Cocaine, Contras, and the Drug War. I'm so happy to finally be uh, publishing a book of, of, of Sele's. I got into this uh, line of work and, and this uh, area because of my dad. And he told me he had quit the CIA because he wouldn't be involved with drug running uh, that had started in the uh, uh, late 50s. You know, he, he told me some stuff and I, I didn't understand it. And so I went out and, and started to do uh, research and, and look into it. And I, I put on a, a CIA drug uh, symposium, and through that, I, I met Michael Rupert, and through that, I, I met Saley. I remember sitting around with uh, Michael Rupert and Saley and, and Daniel Hopsicker, and uh, one thing that Rupert started to talk to us about, he, he started telling us that uh, the, the gentleman who was doing the Christic Institute uh, was, was a shill and had put all that information in there so that it couldn't be uh, it couldn't be used because it got to a, a judge and the judge threw it all out then they started talking about your computer silly i still don't quite understand that story but it had to do with uh, carlos later who yes. was was in jail i think cartel yeah and and he had a a, a girlfriend coral right oh baka yeah, and, and she was working for a big insurance company and, and other things. And can, can you explain that story to me? Well, it, it was, uh, I met her with Gary Webb in, uh, and, and Michael Rupert in L.A. Uh, during one of the uh, conferences that we had. And uh, she claimed to have been the, the girlfriend of uh, Carlos Later. Uh, and uh, she was there uh, doing the story with Gary Webb. And uh, basically, uh, they told the story about her involvement, how she got involved, how she traveled. And even um, Gary Webb and her uh, traveled to Colombia to meet with Carlos. That's how it started. And that's how was Gary was able to put his book together and his story together for the Mercury News in reference to, to what really happened. In other words, she was one of his sources. So what was the FBI doing looking at, I mean, I, I still didn't quite understand it. I mean, somebody put stuff into your computer or what was going on with your computer? At that time period, Maxine Waters, myself, Gary Webb, uh, Rupert, uh, we were all uh, under the eye of the FBI. They were, they were monitoring everything that, that we were doing and saying because it was in their best interest not to expose the uh, Gary Webb story about uh, CIA involvement or being complicit in the drug trade. But let's keep in mind that it's not only the drugs that the CIA was involved in, they were involved with, in building uh, the dead squads in Latin America for many years. And uh, one of the, the main characters working for them was uh, no other than Felix Rodriguez, the guy who, uh, who actually uh, assassinated uh, Che Guevara in Bolivia. Felix was down in Salvador at the time uh, running uh, the dead squads with Colonel James Steele, uh, the Mill Group commander in Salvador. 
So they wanted to to shut us down, to discredit us, to come after us, and they they did a pretty good job. They they you know what happened to Gary and uh, well Michael Rupert is another story, and then me ready to do another story with uh, hopefully with Netflix in in reference to my allegations that continue to expose uh, the CIA. Now I, I watched I think it was on Netflix what is it Narcos or something like that and they yeah, it was yeah it was the less narc with David uh, uh, where he implicates uh, not only Felix Rodriguez in the torture and interrogation of, uh, of Kike Camarena, former DEA agent down in Guadalajara, but also the death squads and the drug trafficking uh, from Latin America to the US. Uh, Felix uh, was doing all the dirty work for, um, for the CIA at that time period. Now, did you know Kiki? No, I, I didn't know Kiki. Kiki was in Mexico at the same time that I was in Guatemala. But we we knew uh, we we knew about the uh, the transportation of drugs from Colombia to Guatemala is the trampoline that went into Mexico and then transported into the U.S. But we knew we had reports on on what they were doing and the involvements. I want to ask you know what you know you're you're there in uh, Guatemala and Honduras and you're uh, with the DEA and it becomes pretty apparent that your own government is involved with the drug trafficking. What, what does that do to your head? How, how did you deal with that? Well, the, the thing, first of all, you know, you keep in mind that I come from a very patriotic family. All my uncles, my dad, everybody served in the military. And as the only son, my dad says, you know what, it's time you pay your dues to your country. As being the only son, I, I had to sign up and, and serve in the military. I was very patriotic. Uh, I had signed up, signed on to fight the, the war on drugs because of my experience, what happened in Vietnam. And I said, well, if I make it out of Nam, I want to continue to fight the war on drugs. And to do that, uh, I had to get an education and then apply for the DEA. But in the meantime, I was, I was a police officer. So when I went to Latin America, I realized that, that we were not... Uh, fighting the cartels, we were actually fighting my own government. First of all, I was in denial. I couldn't comprehend that uh, in my head that my government were the bad guys. And then when Kike got killed in Guadalajara and uh, uh, realized that the CIA and my government didn't care about the agents, because as you could see, when I continued to, to report and the drug trade and the guns and, and, and the death squads and everything else, there was a contract put out on me. And, and I realized that, in, that what happened to Kiki was about to happen to me. And um, I, I just make me furious and, and go after them and keep reporting them. And they laughed at me, the CIA, Randy Capster said to me, you know what, you know, the American people are ignorant people. They get excited for a couple of months about things atrocities that we're doing down here and then they forget about it and he was kind of uh, right in that sense because the american people you know i ran contra uh, the house committee uh, it was just bipartisan investigations that that uh, went nowhere they, they never brought you to uh testify uh to the that house committee did they the Kerry committee the House Select Committee of Intelligence would not ask me to go because um, the DEA kept saying that the files on Iran-Contra were still open by DEA. And the only way they could have access to it was to uh, close the case. 
And what happened was I ended up at the end of the day, I said, well, you know what? I'm still going to write a report for the committee. And I sent it out. And then uh, secretly, I met with um, Lawrence's Walsh people in San Francisco. And I also met with Maxine Waters in LA. And I gave her the evidence I had. And when she testified before the committee, she brought up my name to the fact that she had interviewed me in reference to my allegations. So they wouldn't oh, even, even listen to you. No, they wouldn't. And, you know, I kept I, I kept waiting for the phone to ring uh, saying, you know, come on in and, and do this. Uh, but something something different did happen uh, later on in, in 90, 94. Uh, but I guess that's another chapter that we can talk about. But it was when I got subpoenaed to go before a federal grand jury in Washington, D.C. in reference to my allegations. What, what happened? <laughs> well, there was a, a primetime show, John Quinones did a story on me, the dead squad, the guns, and a little bit of everything. And a few days later, I had a knocking at the door, opened the door, and with the U.S. Marshals, about four of them, they served me with a subpoena to go before the grand jury in Washington, D.C. on this certain day and so forth. And what, what it was, it was an ambush. They were going to try to discredit me before the grand jury. And it was actually the same grand jury that Hillary Clinton testified in on Whitewater. Same grand jury. So I, I went down to Washington, D.C., and um, it was a very hostile grand jury. They just came at me from all different angles and uh, tried to confuse me and stuff like that. I said, well, you know, you really want to know what I know? And they said, no, no, we're just here to, no, 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 you're going you're gonna to hear everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I started talking about the murders the CIA committed, the DEA committed the uh, training of the dead squads, the funding to the dead squads, uh, how it came about, and it was like it backfired on them. I spent three hours before the grand jury, and at the end of the, uh, of the thing, one of the jurors says, you know what, you can't prove any of that. And I turned around and I, and I smiled at him. I said, let me tell you something. I kept journals, and I'm an avid photographer, and I took pictures of the good, the bad, and the ugly. He says, I have all that as evidence. And the guy says, you kept journals? Yes, plus pictures. And the icing on the cake, I told them, I have the passports of some of the people that were murdered. And it's just like, it was done in there that the uh, AUSA has said, okay, we're done here. And um, we walked out and, and he apologized to me. He says, you know what? Uh, I'm sorry, but I had orders to carry out. And I said, that's fine. And then he said, well, send me copies of everything you have. I said, yeah, yeah, they'll be in the mail tomorrow. Yeah, right. <laughs> of course, I wasn't going to send them anything uh, because uh, that was my security blanket to have that I wasn't going to let them know what I had. And basically, it backfired on them. And then the following day, when I was, when I was getting ready to go home, I says, I need copies of the transcripts uh, that I just testified to. And he says, you know what? Uh, they've been, um, what do you call it? Uh, and I, uh, yeah, and I couldn't and I couldn't get copies of them. Uh, later on, I went to the National Archives to try to get the transcripts. And now it's still they're still under um, national security. Couldn't get them. Now, say like, did they did they ever try and bribe you? Uh, <laughs> because they tried and bribed my dad. <laughs> no. Well, what happened? What happened uh, was the fact that they looked at my at my history. 
they looked at everybody that I associated with and everybody said, this guy's a stand-up guy. He's not going to bend over for nobody. He'll go, he'll go to jail before he uh, takes a bleed or, or something, you know. No, I, I, I kept on and um, they knew they, they couldn't even try that on me. Many years ago, I, I took an oath to protect the Constitution of the United States and its citizens. And basically, you know, I held tight to that because of uh, my dad being being a, a World War II veteran, combat veteran who was shot four times in the Philippines. And, uh, you know, I, I took it seriously and I wasn't about to uh, to do this. And, and I, I told the grand jurors, you know, uh, what this guy's the CIA did was illegally and it was wrong. And and um, maybe nothing will happen. But you know what? It's still going to be reported. My dad was in the Philippines also, and uh, he was blowing the whistle on this stuff. And they offered him a bribe. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Seven Corners and Tyson Corners around D.C., uh, but Seven Corners was just going and Tyson Corners was, they were just starting to work on it. And they offered him part of that. And he turned them down. I've been so proud of him uh, for yeah. doing that. So your, your book, Powder Burns, um, how did that come about? And, and what was the uh, response? Powder Burns was developed by Dave Harmon, who wrote a story about me. He was a reporter for a local newspaper. And he wrote a, an intense story, which made the front page. Uh, and it was uh, like three pages of, of my allegations. Plus, he uh, interviewed a lot of the witnesses. It came out to be a great story. Uh, the AP picked it up. But of course, it didn't get traction on it because of the Bush family still being empowered, you know, 41 and, and George W. You know, it wasn't going anywhere. What year was that article, Sally? The article was um, in 1993 because the book was, was done in 94. So do, do you now you're, you got you got arrested later. Do you think that was payback? Oh, yes, absolutely. It was what happened was. I used to love to go to the gun shows because I, I was a military uh, surplus collector. I used to collect uh, uniforms, patches, medals, you, you name it. Anything to do with the Vietnam era. And at the same time, uh, they said, well, why don't you just sell books? And then uh, I said, okay, fine. I sold my books. And then I, uh, I was buying a gun here and a gun there. And uh, my charge was that I was selling guns without a license at the gun shows. And, and, and I said, uh, you know what? Uh, I, I told the judge, half of the vendors at the gun shows don't have a license. And he laughed and he said, well, we're talking about you. We're not talking about anything. But it turned out that Johnny Sutton, the U.S. attorney out of uh, Southern District of Texas, uh, was a very good friend of the Bush family. And basically, they, that's why they came after me. But they made so many mistakes that I wrote a big report to the IG's office in Washington, D.C. Had it hand carried to them with all the evidence of what the illegal stuff that they had. And just recently, I found a letter a couple of days ago. It says from the Office of Professional Responsibility telling me that the assistant United States attorney on my case and the ATF agents were under investigation because of my allegations. Never broken a law in my life. And I got sentenced to two and a half years to a, a prison camp. And uh, it was a school of hard knocks because uh, there were FBI agents in there. There were Border Patrol agents there, U U.S. Customs. 
doctors, lawyers, and uh, white collar crime. And I learned so much. It was like going back to the university because I picked everybody's brain on how, how things happened, uh, the money laundering, how, how the cartels worked. And it was a great uh, educational purposes for me. And, and of course, I survived because I've been on borrowed time since Vietnam. So everything else in life is gravy. And, uh, you know, I, I, I roll with the punches, you know. They knock me down, yeah. I get up, and, and, and it, they created a, a beast because, you know, I just don't stop. I keep going. Well, you know, they, they did something similar to Rodney Stick. He was uh, suing George Bush. And uh, they, they told him, they says, wait a minute, you, you really can't do this, Rodney. If you do it again, we're, we're going to put you in jail. So Rodney didn't do it for a while, but he couldn't take it. And he finally he sued George Bush again. And they did. They, they put him in jail. And what they did to him, they put him on the, the leaky bus that would go from jail to jail. And, and then he found the same thing. He, he, you know, he'd get into jail and he would find more pilots, more people that he could get affidavits from and, and information from, yeah. you know, so it, it backfired there too. One thing that, that, that I did, uh, well, I, I was a hippie for a while. So, you know, I, I, I uh, used some of those drugs that were coming over the border. And then one thing that, that us hippies did is we took the marijuana and we says, well, wait a minute, it has seeds, we can grow it. And basically, you know, now marijuana is, is, is legal. And instead of the money going to uh, the cartels and the shadows, it, it's actually going to our states and, and, and helping them with uh, problems. Because, you know, one of the things that I've always uh, said for a long time is that, you know, the prohibitions have nothing to do with our health, our community, or our children. They have to do with keeping in place a black market, which allows forces in the shadows to uh, sell plants for, for more than gold. It's, it's been a very interesting journey yeah, that we've uh, seen as far as uh, drugs. Yeah, that's that's uh, it's it's a kind of a, a funny thing you're mentioning that because um, right before I got sentenced, there was a guy named Mark Murray or Mike Murray. He did uh, cannabis culture up in Canada. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he invited me to go down there um, and lecture, <laughs> and the judge approved my travel to go talk to him. While I was uh, out on bond, they gave me my passport and I flew to Canada and I was down there with him and he was trying to consult with me because he had his own problems and, and they, they locked him up for uh, selling seats across the, the, the line, the, the, the United States, uh, into the United States. Yeah. And, and uh, he got sentenced to five years, but uh, it, it's funny because the judge says, yeah, go ahead. And, you know, the judge was very, very, very polite with me. Uh, he, you know, and it, it was funny because he kept thanking me for my service, being a Vietnam vet and so forth and this and that. And I could not, you know, I was hoping I'd get probation, you know, since I have never been involved and I'm former law enforcement. But they, they wanted to send a message to let me know that, that this is what they can do. And at the end of the day, um, I came very close to subpoenaing uh, George H.W. Bush because I want him to get him on the stand because they were talking about the guns. He said, how about the guns that he, he transported from the US into Latin America? And it's very well documented in the uh, final report of Iran-Contra. It's reported that uh, 
he knew and he participated in and approved all this uh, transport of uh, weapons to Latin America in violation of the Bolton Amendment also. So, you know, um, and the icing on the cake was when, when Oliver North got arrested and convicted, he said, uh, if I go to jail, uh, you know, I'm taking uh, George H.W. Bush with me. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and that's what uh, they cited national security on his testimony and, you know, they, they let him go. Yeah, Bill Barr, yeah. Bill Barr let, let him go. So yeah. now let me go back to Powder Burns. When, when Powder Burns came out, uh, did you get, uh, were you on any of the big uh, uh, news programs like uh, 60 Minutes or anything like that? Well, I, I, I was on uh, Primetime Life. I was in Current Affairs. I was in uh, a Discovery Channel and uh, some other news medias, uh, magazine medias. That's what got me to the grand jury, as, as you know. But yeah, I did a lot of uh, public speaking and a lot of uh, lectures all over the country. And actually, I did um, the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. with Dick Gregory. And I went down there uh, where, where I had a press conference of uh, there were over 100 cameras at, at that uh, National Press Club. And we talked about uh, my allegations and I was interviewed by different news medias and so forth. And uh, we went and demonstrated in front of the DEA. And that's when Dick Gregory Joe Madison and uh, Joseph yeah. were all arrested. Uh, right. Yeah, so. But nothing ever happened. You know, nothing ever happened. I mean, people got all excited. You know, we had protests in LA, for example, cracked the CIA, big demonstration downtown LA. And, uh, you know, everybody got excited. But as Randy Capister used to say, the American people are just going to forget about it. So in, in the new book, you said you're going to add a few chapters. What will those be about? They'll be about what happened uh, after 90, uh, 91 when I left the DEA. And I'd like to add a couple of more chapters coming down to what happened to me. I mean, how they came after me when I started doing all those interviews. And it's about uh, the Fast and Furious. It's about, uh, there's an old saying um, in Spanish about the drug war. It's called plata o plomo. You know, either you take the money or you take the bullet. In this instance, uh, the chapter is going to be named Plata y Plomo. So it's going to be money and the bullet. So uh, that's going to implicate a lot of the ATF agents that let those guns go into Mexico. And as you know, on the Fast and Furious, they in, ended up killing a, a Border Patrol guy. Yeah. With the same weapons that were let go into Mexico. You know, silly. Um, I was friends of a uh, gentleman who was a part of the uh, Mexican marijuana mafia. And he told me an interesting story, uh, I don't know, about a year, year or so ago. He, he was telling me, he said, they had this uh, valley there in Mexico where they've been growing poppies for well over a hundred years. And he, he was talking about this uh, oil pipeline company that was coming up from Brazil decided uh, came to him and says, you know, we want to have an up in your in your valley and a down with a little little house there and yeah. stuff. And and basically uh, the thing he told me he says that there's these huge big poppy farms, opium farms in in Brazil too. And one of the main ways that they're bringing the heroin and the opium into the United States is through oil pipelines. And uh, officially, they say that there's a million to a million two junkies. I, I think there's a few more, you know. Yes, yes, I and, agree. 
and with a million to a million two, that is a ton a day that has yeah. to be broken up and given to people. I mean, you know, there's there's few people that, you know, they might get 30 days supply at a time. And, you know, there's a few that might get a week at a time. And uh, there's some that get a three at a time. But most most people get it daily. I mean, it, it's an amazing, it, it's a huge hidden industry in, in the United States to supply all these people. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yes, um, you know, uh, I remember back in the 60s, 70s, it was called the black tar heroin that was coming out of Mexico. But then Guatemala started producing the puppy fields also. And then uh, I think Colombia started doing the same thing. So the heroin that we were getting in the 80s was was close to China white purity because they, they brought in the chemists to produce it more. And it was no longer black tar. It was, it was actually white uh, heroin. And it just continued. And even today, they got the methamphetamine, the, the other drugs that have taken over, you know, and, 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 and needless to say, Chris, heroin doesn't discriminate. If you, if you see the East Coast, the kids are, are dying left and right. New Hampshire, Connecticut, you know, up that way because uh, they're getting hooked on this stuff. Yeah, I, I just wish it was all, not, not sending vice people, not, not putting it in the vice, but putting it more into a, a health thing, because I think that, you know, people would first would, would look for help. And, uh, you know, I mean, vice cops, uh, not all vice cops are uh, honorable, we'll put it that way. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and the thing about it, um, I, I think veterans should, should be able to have that medical marijuana because of their PTSD. You know, we're losing a lot of uh, you know that uh, out of the 260,000 federal inmates, a big percent, I think uh, 50% or so, are Vietnam vets, and wow. they're dying in prison. Uh, we're, we're losing uh, like 300 Vietnam veterans a day in the worldwide. And uh, the Afghan and Iraqi veterans are, are starting to, to be sent to prison because of their nonviolence PTSD. And uh, marijuana uh, has shown that it does help it takes care of uh, a lot of the pressure points that the veterans are going through. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's completely legal here in Oregon. And, you know, I, I would imagine in, in Texas, the, the police use it as a, uh, well, I can probably bust you for marijuana, right? Yeah, you can get arrested for a joint of marijuana here in Texas. That's and and not only that, once you get a, a, a drug charge on you, then it's going to be close to him job because that's well, on your record now. We're about done here. Bruce, you have any questions for Saley? Yes, Saley. How much control do you would you describe that the CIA has over the media in America? Well, uh, there was a time period that they had a lot of control, but now I don't feel that they do that much. I remember, and I'm going to go on the lane right now. I remember when the CIA would assassinate people for much less things than what Trump is doing. You know, in, in Latin America, they assassinated a lot of presidents. And, you know, you go back to the Kennedy assassination, the CIA feared no one. But now you sit back and I say to myself, how is the CIA allowing all these atrocities that are going on in our country and with the Russians being implicated on an election fraud and stuff like that and, and, and allowing... Um, you know, the money laundering of what this administration is doing. 
it's unbelievable. So, you know, where do we stand with that? Why are they not doing anything? Or our military, you know? Our military are staying back, they're idling, they're not doing anything to try to protect our country and from inside. So I don't know. You mean the rise and the upsets this past summer? Yes, yes, yes. The whole thing uh, that's going on, uh, allowing the white supremacists to, to excel in what they're doing. And back in the day, man, they, they used to take those guys out. But now they have a carte blanche to do whatever the hell they want to do. And um, let, let's see what let, happens. Let me ask you a question uh, going back a little bit. You know the story of Albert Carone? Yes, I think he was a military guy in charge with the CIA that laundered a lot of money for them. Right. He was also yeah. a member of one of the five families of New York and was all, he was a colonel and uh, was involved with the drug running. And then he, he supposedly went down to uh, South America one time and had some sort of situation that just completely blew his mind. He was in a uh, supposedly he he came back and told the story about being involved in a firefight with uh, Germans in in Nazi uniforms did, did, did you run across anything like that in, in well um, yes I did uh, Argentina was full of uh, those Germans Brazil had their own little section I think we had them in Guatemala you know the reason why they found several of those, the German looking guys dead in Guatemala, you know, they're like six, seven tall, blue eyes, blonde hair. You know, what's he doing down in Guatemala, man? You know, they kept saying they were Russians and that they were, they were Germans. And I don't know, uh, you know, they were, they were down there a lot. Hmm. Well, you know, uh, also keep in mind that the Israelis were in Guatemala because when Jimmy Carter cut aid to them in, in the early 80s, uh, they needed to be trained and funded, so they used the Israelis that came in and gave uh, supplied them with a lot of weapons, and they were running uh, a lot of their operations out of Guatemala. What do, What do you think of the year 2020? Man, that's that's something that I never thought I'd be. I live to 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 watch this going on. You know, uh, it's killing a lot of people. Over two hundred thousand now. It touched home. I lost my brother-in-law to it. My sister got it. My nephew got it. In South Texas is the uh, is a big uh, hot spot for the virus. And uh, people say, well, it's because they're coming in from Mexico or or this or that. But we're 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 a, a big uh, problem here. We we have a major problem here. Any any last words you'd like to uh, say? Chris, I just hope that uh, when we redo this powder burns book. Um, we can we can actually uh, put a little bit of more of education into it to where people will will understand uh, what happened in the 90s, you know, um, 9/11 and so forth, and keep educating the people. That's all I can say, Chris. And you know, don't give up. Let's just keep on keep on trying and trying and trying till our last breath, and hopefully somebody will carry the flag after us. Amen. 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 Onward. <laughs>